Hey everybody and welcome to the Born Hunting Podcast where it's all hunting all the time. Today I'm joined by my good buddy Danny Ferris. Um, Danny is one of those figures that you come across so often that is he's just made such a huge impact in my life. Um, he's a great hunter. Yes, he is a very accomplished hunter. He has multiple accolades in the outdoor industry under his belt. But for me personally, uh, the things that he's done to help me along in life, there's just a lot of things about his personality, about his character that I try to model myself after. And he's just a hell of a hunter in general. So I'm super excited to have him on the podcast today. Um, Danny's actually out in the field right now because it's it's mid-August. That means antelope season's open, and Danny's doing this podcast from his truck. So, buddy, I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate you taking the time. Alzerman, what are you doing, buddy? Well, right now, I am just kind of sitting here. It's August 17th, and this is the first time in 23 years I don't have a Colorado archery pronghorn tag in my pocket because, as you know, I cashed in 23 points, and... <laughs> One wanted to go with the rifle this year, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm glad I did, and I know October will get here, <laughs> but when you're out in the field, Stevie Fernandez, uh, who will be on the podcast at some point, he sends a message yesterday. He knocks down a goat. Uh, my cousin Stevie came down yesterday. I took him out around here and kind of showed him the ropes on some public that he can hunt, and it was just like. Oh, now I'm kind of chomping at the bit, of course, because first time in 23 years not doing something that kind of not only, you know, got me started in this industry, got me started writing, but just kind of helped, you know, steer my career in a path down down the road that I'm on. So, you know how much I love them and you know how much I love to bow hunt them. So, you know, it was one of those deals where I was like, man, I'm cashing in 23 points. I want to shoot one with a rifle. I just think it'd be cool. I'm going to be up there with my buddies kind of hunting some mountain bucks in, in some different terrain. And I thought, man, I'm just going to go up there and have a blast. But right now, it seems very, very difficult. <laughs> so that's oh, what buddy. I'm doing. <laughs> I, man, um, as an ultra marathoner, Jace Bowserman is someone who enjoys misery. And that's why he loves bow hunting antelope so much. Because these are miserable <laughs> critters to bow hunt. And, they really you know, I, are. I, I told you this morning that, you know, I was in a using a, a, a decoy set that we use to ambush antelope, where we'll set it up out in the middle of a field where we know they're going to show up at some point during the day. And this morning, there was no action. There was nothing around. And like I told you right before we got on here, Jace, I... You always say to yourself, well, I'm going to sit here for 30 more minutes. Well, I sat there for five more minutes, and I looked <laughs> around again, and I was like, okay, there's nothing here. And I, you know, I got up, and I walked out of that out of that pasture. And when I say out of a pasture, I, I walked a mile right, out to right. the truck again. I know right and, where you're hunting. I know the area well. <laughs> yeah. and, and as soon as I get to the truck, and, you know, turn around and, and get up on the dirt road to drive off. I glance over there, and the whole parade is coming out to ride up right where I just walked out. They're just, they're maddening. It would feel good to have a rifle tag for them once in a while. It, it does. It does feel really good to have one. But, you know, like, I've actually caught, caught quite a bit of flack over it already. Like, um, of course, you know, everybody on social media seems to have an opinion. And because, and, and because... 
I do a lot of podcasts about um, antelope hunting. I write tons of articles about antelope hunting, specifically archery. Uh, I wrote a book on antelope hunting, specifically, you know, basically dedicated to archery hunting, those things. And so people are like, man, how come you're not posting any antelope stuff right now? And da, 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 da. And, I, and I share, I just kind of shared a blanket. Hey, after 23 years, I'm taking a year away from the bow. I'm going to go try to shoot one with a rifle. And some people are like, right on, man, good for you. You've earned it, da, 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 da. And then you get the opposite end of the spectrum where people are like, I had one guy write, man, that's really that's ultra discouraging from someone oh. from someone who I thought had character. Oh my <laughs> this isn't a religion, buddy. This isn't a religion. Uh, Come on, man. And and that's like, something oh dude, we just I, I mean we're not gonna hash on that, but we gotta get away from that. We gotta get exactly away from that mentality. Man. We have enough going no. against us. You know, don't get me wrong. It, you know, if if I'm going to take my best one of any particular species, whether it's antelope or elk or whitetails, doesn't matter. I prefer for it to be with my bow. Me you know, too. I would love me for too. it to be with my bow. And because I do so much bow hunting, it's very likely that it will be with my bow. But on the occasion where I get to head out the door with a rifle in my hand and a, a rifle tag in my pocket, there's this feeling while you're walking out the door like, <laughs> don't let me see you today. Right, and right. For, for, for a guy like you, you know, there's 23 years worth of revenge to be taken out the, the, on these animals. There really you know? is, man. And it's so yeah. true. And, and to be honest, that's kind of where I was at. Like, I've taken, you know, I've taken 20, I think I've taken 28 or 29 bucks with my bow and of course now that's not just Colorado um, that's Colorado Wyoming South Dakota so there's some other states uh, mixed in there but I just kind of was like man this this is the year um, you know my son's a senior in high school he's he's big into football as you know um, you know yeah. bow hunting is a very timely time is your best friend time consuming it's very yeah, time consuming yeah. and um my september is going to be pretty busy i got it i got an archery bear tag i got an archery elk tag um and, and there's some other things that might happen in september just kind of depending with the plains rifle elk, rifle elk tag and things rifle elk tag and things like that that i was just like you know what this is the year i'm going to go ahead and just cash them in and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go shoot one you know hopefully shoot one with a rifle and you know i'm, I'm at that point too where you know i've I've yet to break 80 inches. I've gotten, I'm, it's, yeah. I've, I'm stuck at 78 and three quarters and I've killed one 78. I've killed 77, but like this unit is known for really freak genetics, but it's also really known for those bucks that are going to push the tape over 80. Um, and I had some guys reach out to me that have hunted the unit. Um, you know, a couple of them, uh, Connor reached out to me, a friend of ours that lives up in, up in Gunnison and, uh, my buddy Grafton, our buddy Grafton that lives up there. And he's, they just said, man, this, we've been looking around, you know, this is the year, just, just get a rifle tag and come up here and let's all get together. We'll go find a good one and we'll try to put him on the ground. So I was like, this is a good year to do that. Um, yeah. And so that's why I went with it, but I was, I was really shocked by, you know, a lot of people were ultra supportive, but then a lot of people were like, you know, what are you doing, man? I thought you were a bow hunter. It's like, well, uh, I am a bow hunter, but I'm also a hunter. I mean, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I am I, I don't like you to know, just limit myself to one thing. And that's what makes it great, too. You know, one of the best hunts I've ever been on was at a 
at a buddy's place where he had had a bunch of horse feed spill out in this shop and there was a mouse infestation and we sat there for two days with bb guns shooting mice and i am not kidding you man that that, <laughs> that was a i would pay to go do that again it's, and it's stuff know, like that's a riot like I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now like if you're if you're a hunter You've got your preferred means, but that doesn't mean it needs to be your only means. Agreed. You know what I mean? Agreed. Uh, it, it, and, you know, I, I think that people that shun you for something like that are, they, they, they are doing things for the wrong reason, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, and like we said, we you and I have talked to you. Danny sits on the CBA. So for the, those people that don't know, and if you live in Colorado and you don't belong to the Colorado Bowhunters Association, you should. Um, there's there's a lot of things <laughs> that are going on in our well, state. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to correct you right there. <laughs> okay. If you, okay. <laughs> you bowhunt in the state of Colorado, I, know this I don't care coming. if you live in, in Pennsylvania truth, or truth. anywhere else, if you, if you hunt, period, in the state of Colorado, you should be a member of the Colorado Bowhunters Association. It, it's, and, a and that's my opinion. it's a great program. It's a great program, you know, and, and and they are there fighting for they're fighting for bow hunters, but they're fighting for our hunting heritage. I I think that's yeah. something that you know I want my kids to enjoy bow hunting. You know, bow hunting means so much to me. It's changed my life. It's shaped my life. It's a an amazing discipline. And, and, and these are the people out there on the front line standing there, you know, in legislation, working with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, working with our Wildlife Commission and doing these things. And they are our front line. They're, they're the voice. And um, it's really important to join that organization. And, and if you're in a, in a state, it's important to belong to your own state's organization, too. Yeah, but like Danny absolutely. said, if you hunt here, you know, you really should pony up, pay the money, and become a member because, I mean, there's a lot of benefits involved, but you're actively involved in protecting your heritage. And I don't think yeah. there's anything more important than that right now because we're coming under attack in a lot of different areas. There's definitely some yeah. scrutiny. There's definitely some things going on. And we, we've got to be one voice. We've got to be joined together. We've got to be united. There can't be division. Um, so it's just super important, man. Yeah, I couldn't. Couldn't agree more. Um, it, it, there's, we don't want to go down that track because we'll right. end up the entire we will. podcast. We will. With all of the issues that are that we're facing here in Colorado right now. Yep. But I can tell you this: if the people on the other side of the line get their way with Colorado, this is the going to be the first step in marching on to other Western states and other states in the Midwest, and we we got to come together and try and get this shut down it's 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 true and 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 some of the things that danny's referring to nobody would even know about but um no you know no. it's they're there I, I i've spent a lot of time with him at his house discussing the issues and they're there so you know get involved make yourself privy to what's going on and be a voice be a positive voice not a negative voice because negativity is not going to do us any good we've got to we've got to be a very positive but we have to stand on our tradition, we have to stand on our heritage. We have to stand for what we believe because a quiet voice is an agreeable voice. And that's exactly right. You know, that's yeah. something I learned a long time ago, and something that you've taught me a lot about is, you know, when you're 
when you're quiet about something, somebody's saying something and you're, you're quiet about it, that person that's speaking automatically assumes, well, they're not saying anything. They must really agree with me. I must be hitting the nail yeah. on the head. And we can't yeah. have that. We have to stand up. Well, what I've been guilty of for my entire life, pretty much, is, is just thinking that, well, somebody else will take care of that. Mm -hmm. Somebody, you know, they're, they're, yep. that, that can't ever happen. Somebody's going to stop that. Right. Know, somebody else is going to do it. And the, the problem is too many, too many of us have done that for too long. And they have taken control from the inside. And they <laughs> are our opposition. They are in positions of power now. Yep. And and now we are facing very, very real threats. And, you know, like like I said, some of our neighboring states have it better. Um, some of them are, are starting to slip a little bit, but Colorado's in a bad way right now. It, it is, and when I hope everybody heard what Danny said. Some of this from the inside, so we'll we'll let you roll that around in your brain and think about what that yeah. may mean, may mean. But from the inside, power yeah. that we don't want from the inside, very problematic. Yeah. But like you said, we could go down a rabbit hole with this, but uh, we just want to encourage everybody to get out, get involved. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is. Um, Danny is, um, I'm going to call Danny a very opportunistic, unconventional, outside the norm type of hunter. And what I mean by that is Danny is not afraid to be very inventive. I've seen him do it with these antelope. I've seen him do it with whitetails. I've seen him do it with elk. He comes up with things that just, they, they fall outside of what we would call established norms for things. And he kind of goes against the norm, comes up with a solution to a problem, and then he goes in and gets the job done year after year after year after year after year. And Danny just also happens to be the owner of Ultimate Predator Gear. Um, if you guys don't know about Ultimate Predator Gear, gosh, you absolutely should. It is a bow-mounted decoy system um, with a smattering of different animal choices. And we'll talk about some of those, but what we want to talk about specifically today is using... Ultimate Predator Gears Stalker Whitetail Decoy to bow yeah. hunt whitetails on the ground. <laughs> and yes, you heard it right. On the ground and get after them with a bow mounted decoy, possibly a 3D, um, 3D buck out there. Danny's got a whole system he's going to talk about. But, buddy, t tell, tell him a little, tell everybody a little bit about how you came into, because this, this was something that didn't happen overnight. This was a process no. that led you to the system that you've perfected now and killed Booner class bucks on public land using this yeah. system, um, uh, uh, really across the Midwest. You've had great success with this system, but, but take us back a little bit and, and tell us a little bit about how this kind of ground assault attitude got started. Well, you know, first off, I didn't, I got a late start whitetail hunting. Um, you know, I grew up out here in Colorado. Oh, you're a Western guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Western guy. I didn't start hunting. I, I went in the military, um, you know, pretty much right out of high school. Um, and I ended up over on the East Coast. And I got my first taste of whitetail hunting while I was in my early 20s out there. And then I came back here to Colorado, and one of my buddies that um, that I was in the military with from Louisiana, he ended up, he was a hunting nut. And the, the reason the two of us got 
you know, along so well is because both of us were pretty hardcore hunters. We figured that out and he was really interested in doing uh, some Western hunting. He moved out here to Colorado and we started hunting, bow hunting uh, whitetails in the Eastern Plains of Colorado, which are wide open. And he was teaching me to whitetail hunt just like anybody from Louisiana does. He, in a nutshell, it couldn't be done from the ground. You have to be in a tree. So I, I spent the first, I don't know, five years of, uh, of bow hunting whitetails thinking you had to be in a tree. And, you know, I sat in many uh, cottonwood creek bottom watching deer way out in the, in, in the sage and the open prairie. Um, and, you know, just praying that they would come to me and, you know, typically they never did. And, um, you know, I was just spinning my wheels. And then a little bit later in my bow hunting career, I, I can't remember who it was where I first saw an old VHS tape. And it might have been a, it might have been Stan Potts, but um, they were using a 3D buck decoy. And whoever it was, this buck comes in just puffed up like a gorilla, posturing with its ears pinned back. And this guy let the air out of that buck. And I mean, from that day on, I have been a, a decoy junkie. Like I, I took one look at that and said that that looks like the most exciting thing I've ever seen. I want to try that. And so shortly thereafter, and we're, we're talking, this is back in the, in the 90s, I started playing with, with decoys, mainly three-dimensional decoys. I even had a taxidermist that built me a full-body mount doe uh, that had detachable antlers for a little while that I would haul out into places. And probably for 10 years, I did a lot of that type of stuff. Um, but that was mainly in the Midwest. I was going to Nebraska and to Iowa and to Missouri. Um, back here in Colorado, uh, you know, and in Western Kansas, a lot of times I was hunting whitetails in the wide open prairie. And, you know, over the years, what I started to notice was that a lot of times the biggest bucks that I'd ever see were while I'd be doing something like pheasant hunting and going through thick brushy bottoms and stuff like that. Right. And, you know, I, I over the years, I also learned that, man, you know, if, if you're gonna limit yourself to a tree out in the prairie, you're, you're, you're really limiting yourself. And I also started spotting and stalking whitetails some and had some really terrific successes. Um, I do a lot of, uh, I'm a columnist for Bowhunter Magazine and I do a lot of hunting on their TV show, and we we filmed a couple of uh, bow hunter TV episodes, where I, man, I, one buck I shot him at nine yards, pure spot and stock, and I mean it was, it was a real high. But I remember that episode. Run. That was in Kansas, yeah. wasn't it? Um, was that in Kansas? Yeah, that one was. I, that one was in in Kansas. Yeah, I remember the episode. Um, it was awesome. But in 2015. I found the biggest buck that I've ever had an opportunity at in Western Kansas, um, biggest buck of my career that I've ever had a chance at. And to make a long story short, I, I he was in the wide open nothing. Um, he was by himself. I put a stock on him, got within 40 yards. He stood up and was feeding and I came to th full draw on that deer 
like three different times and I could not steady my pen. There was some wind going on and probably some nerves going on as well because this is the biggest buck I'd ever had in front of me. I saw a video um, of the deer. I think you had every right to be a little bit uh, shaky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we think he was, we, we think that he was a legitimate, you know, 200 inch typical buck. On he public land too. I mean, he to was boot. A giant. Yeah, he was a giant, and you were on public dirt to boot. So that, you know, adds yeah. another element yeah. of making that buck just a little more special. Well, at the last second, I came to full draw the last time, and I was just about to fire anyway when all of a sudden that buck just his sixth. I don't know whether he caught me out of the corner of his eye or what, just saw a blob out there that didn't look right, but all of a sudden his head swung toward me. And it went up high. And right then is when I was trying to go ahead and execute the shot. Well, he ducked the string and I hit him in the back straps. And, uh, you know, he kind of contorted spinning around as the arrow was going to him when he jumped the string. And we couldn't tell whether it was pure back straps or whether it actually went deeper into the cavity on the far side because he dipped that one side toward us. I spent a week searching for that deer. And you know, the the section that I was in was chest deep CRP. So you had to cover every inch of it. But after, you know, three days of searching, I went and found somebody with an airplane. Mm -hmm. And we remember we you calling that me. area. <laughs> yeah, we flew that area looking for that deer and I was just just I, I lost it. I never did find that deer, never saw him again, never heard of anyone recovering a big buck around there. Um, we don't know what happened to him, whether he lived or not. Um, but it was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my entire bow hunting career. Well, as I was digesting that over the next year, um, I started thinking to myself, well, you know, when I'm over in the Midwest using 3D buck decoys, well, why wouldn't that work on these deer in the wide open prairies. I know that rattling at them and things like that is, is very effective out here because the deer densities are low and those bucks can't afford to pass up very many opportunities. So they're, they've typically been very callable deer. Um, and I started thinking, well, what, you know, what if I was to use a 3D buck decoy way out in the wide open? And that thought process transitioned into, okay, well, that would be a good way to get their attention off of me, but, um, you know, what would I do to cover myself up? And right about that time, this little company had been introduced here in Colorado called Ultimate Predator Gear, and they had a decoy called a Stalker Decoy, and it mounted onto your bow, and it had a big shoot-through window in the middle of it, and I thought, well, what if I slapped one of their whitetail decoys on my bow and I just went out there and sat down in the deeper grass so that it, you know, just the top of that decoy was sticking out. That would look like a bedded doe with a buck standing over. And, you know, I was like, well, man, this next year, maybe, maybe that, I'll give that a try. And it was it was amazing because the, the the next year I went out and I was uh, I was in some walk-in in Kansas and and 
there was uh there was a little cedar row on that walk-in but those were the only trees in the entire place and they weren't big enough to hold a tree stand or anything but i just sat down next to that cedar row with that bow mounted stalker decoy doe on my bow and then i put a 3d buck decoy out about oh 13 yards in front of me in a position where he could be seen really easily by any bucks that were cruising through there and it it, it is worth noting that um i positioned it right next to a big weedy bottom that i knew i had seen does go head into that to bed many times i had seen bucks cruise the 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 edge of it many times scent checking for does and the whole thought process was if i can get a buck that's cruising through there searching for does to see this buck decoy maybe you know he would fall for me being a doe sitting over next to him that this buck has a doe pinned down no lie the first time that i tried it i i was sitting there and i look over to my right and this this hunt was being filmed for bow hunter tv again and so i had a cameraman sitting right next to me with a 3d uh, with a uh, a tripod and a camera in front of him and I'm sitting just in front of the cameraman with this doe on my bow and we're sitting there and the cameraman is kind of looking at me like I don't know what in the world kind of Mickey Mouse crap we are doing here but you know um, <laughs> this we'll this goes try. a little bit back to what I talked about I want everybody to understand you can imagine the cameraman looking and going this cameraman's probably filmed multiple whitetail hunts in his career. Oh yeah. And and he's yeah. probably sitting there going I'm going to be out here with this guy doing this crap for who knows how long and it's not going to work but this goes back to what i was saying at the start about danny being a, an unconventional type bow hunter who's willing to think outside of established norms and go okay these bucks are out here these are the biggest bucks that i can find they're basically yeah. unhuntable from a tree or even a ground blind because it's going to stick out like a sore thumb i want to kill them what can i do so yeah, yeah. keep rolling dude so, and you're exactly right. That cameraman's name was Cody Worley, and he started his career right out of college at Mossy Oak. And he filmed for Mossy Oak for a decade before he went into, you know, freelancing for himself. And he'd been on lots of whitetail hunts. He'd never seen anything like this. I could literally look over at him and see him just rolling his eyes every now and again, like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. Well, literally that we were there for maybe an hour after it got daybreak uh, after it got light and then i look over to my right and this deer appeared like an apparition out of those out of that weedy bottom it was almost like am i am i really seeing what i'm seeing this big like 160 class inch buck comes walking up out of this and he's he's probably only 30 yards when i first see him well, I turned my doe at him and uh, like brought the decoy between me and him. He glanced in my direction for a second, but did not even slow his roll. He was on a steady march straight toward my 3D buck decoy out in front of me. Now, I, I, this deer has me in full view. There is no cover between us deeper than maybe shin deep. And I'm sitting in this cover. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to draw my bow. I got to draw my bow. Well, usually if you draw your bow in plain sight of a buck like that, he turns inside out and is gone. 
Absolutely. I drew that bow, and he didn't even blink. He didn't. I, I was in his peripheral <laughs> vision right there, but he was so focused on that buck decoy and coming in and kicking his butt. He laid his ears back. He came in like a gorilla, just like I described on that first video that I watched. Yep. He starts sidewalking at the decoy, and I just let I let the air out of him at 12 yards. At 12, at 12 yards, yards on the ground. In between. So crazy. And, I mean, this deer runs off, and I turn around and look at my buddy Cody, and I'm just, I can't believe what just happened. It Exactly what I thought might happen happened to a T. It worked like a charm. And... I mean, I was beside myself excited, but that actually wasn't the coolest part of this hunt. So immediately after this buck runs up the hill and disappears over this little little rise, and I knew, you know, I'd, I'd hit him good. That deer was dead. Well, I go walking out there to find my arrow, and I pick my arrow up, and I walk back, and I'm kneeling down in front of, uh, of the camera, and, and I'm talking to the camera about what just happened, and my cameraman says, Danny, there's another buck behind you. And I look over my shoulder, and about 70 yards behind me is another very nice buck. This is probably a mid-140s buck. And a buck that if he had showed up first, I definitely would have shot him. Yeah, know? mature but buck, just, for sure. Yeah, he's a mature whitetail buck. But I just put an arrow through one, and, and this buck is looking at, at me, my human form, and my cameraman you know, behind a tripod and a, and a camera. Well, I have to step over the little cover in front of me, sit back down, pull my bow up off the ground with that decoy and put that bow mounted decoy between me and him. And he just stood there. He stood there at 70 yards. And I, I reach up on that bow mounted decoy and I flick the ear at it because it's a very natural looking movement where, you know, a uh, they're looking at a deer silhouette, and one of its ears is flicking. And I've noticed, and, I've noticed. I don't want to cut you off, but I noticed, because we can come back to this, but I've noticed you do this a lot. I've seen you do it with elk. I've seen you do it with yeah. the pronghorn. I've seen you reach up and, and actually just manipulate that ear. Not, not crazy. Yeah. I mean, you're not making it bounce like a pinball, but you're just, you're just giving it a little flick, a little movement, and man, it, it just, it's, that, that alone just, it just gives, uh, it's crazy. Well, you know, and doing that on any decoy would probably work. And, and, you know, some of that little small natural movement came from me having a 3D decoy a long time ago that had a tail flicker on it. And that little tail flicker would a lot of times sell the decoy to a deer. And, you know, because these bow-mounted decoys are right there on your bow and you can reach up and do it, you can give them a little movement like that to help sell the deer on what you are. And so that deer stood there for five minutes and you could just see, I, I could almost read his mind. Like he was looking at me, like, what was that, that I saw, you know, I, I, cause he saw my whole human form. Sure. And then all absolutely. of a sudden there's a deer looking at him. And of course he's, he's also looking at the 3d buck that's out in front of me. Well, after about five minutes, it's almost like he convinced himself, well, that must've just been her butt. Well, he starts a slow march toward me, and he didn't—he didn't come straight in the way that that big dominant buck did. He kind of half circled. He didn't circle into the wind, but um, he he stuck to the bottom, 
and came up around the side of that of that buck decoy and long story short the deer ended up at three yards in front of me and cody looking at the buck decoy and had written me off as a okay that i know there's a doe laying there i'll take care of her after i'm done with the guy with daggers on his head and I, I was mind blown. The coolest thing was I already had that deer down, so I didn't mess this up. I just let it play out to where. Right. Know, so you were learning too at this time. You're and learning. The, yeah. The entire time. Mm -hmm. And that deer comes into three yards, figures out that something isn't right. And he jumps back out to like 18 yards and he stands there for five minutes turning in circles looking around trying to figure out what the heck's going on here and i mean I, a half a dozen different times i could have drawn my bow and shot that deer and um when when that was done and we recovered that that buck i was just absolutely mind blown by what had just happened and immediately thinking of all the different circumstances that they you know that situations that i could use this in absolutely and you know um so i'll try and shorten this up a little bit but the following year we went out there and i was using the same tactic the exact same tactic with the 3d buck decoy well it just so happened while we were driving to uh to lunch one day that we spotted this big buck that was had a doe lockdown and he was out in the middle of some CRP, um, and I'm actually mistook him for a mule deer when I first saw him. And in western Kansas, they have both species. And when you mistake a whitetail for a mule deer because their rack is that big, oh man, you know it's a good one. You know you got a stud. Exactly. When I first saw it, I thought it was a muley buck. I threw the binoculars on it. I said, "That's a whitetail. We need to try him." Now, we can't go marching in there with a big 3D buck decoy. What we did was we put a, a, a decoy, a doe decoy on my bow, and then we stuck a buck decoy, the same stalker decoy from Ultimate Predator, Predator Deer, on my cameraman's camera rig. And literally, we, we strapped it to his camera rig, and he's videoing with his camera through the middle of the decoy, through the shooting hole in the decoy. And we worked into about 40 yards from where I knew this buck was bedded down. We landmarked him, went around, got the wind right, got into about 40 yards. And there is, I mean, other than the cover that he's bedded down in, where we are, there's no cover. There's none. It's, it's ankle deep. And I just, I knelt down and my whole plan was, I'm just going to throw a few grunts out here and try and get him to stand up. Well, I started grunting. And he stood up, but I didn't realize how deep that cover was that he was in. He, when he stood up, all I could see was the rack. And for probably close to 10 minutes, I would grunt at him and he would grunt back at me. I would hear the grunt come back. And literally as this little game of grunting back and forth went on, he kept getting more and more angry. And the next thing you know, he snort wheezed at me. And then the next thing you know, you could see his antlers flipping around and, and, and tearing up the brush around him 
and throwing it up in the air. But I have absolutely zero shot at him. He's, he's 40 yards, but completely covered up. I can't even see his body. Well, the next thing you know, he walks out of the weeds just far enough to where he's about 25 yards away. And all I can see is his face. And he's looking directly at me and this cameraman who has a buck and a doe decoy on. And literally, he took one look at those two decoys, pinned his ears back, and marched into 16 yards. And I shot him at 16 yards with zero cover. Nothing. He marched, he marched out of the weed bed and committed suicide. I, and, I, I remember the video. And it, it would just when you're watching it, you're like, how is, how is this happening? How is, how, how is a 170-inch deer, mature deer... It just you know he and that's what he did i just remember the yeah. video he's throwing stuff in the air you give him one more yeah. grunt and it's like it's too much you've pressed his threshold to the point where yep. he's like you know what i'm bedded in here you're a, a way lesser buck and, and and you've also got a doe that's not going to happen in my in my hood not right here and boom here right. he comes and when you shot him i mean he dang near run you over it was so cool yeah. man oh i love it he ran in a big circle and he still didn't, he didn't realize what just happened. So he comes running back at me and the, the two deer that he was looking at. And I, he ran within four yards of us and almost the eye, I thought he was gonna run us over for a minute. Um, but after those two experiences, and that was, that was before I owned this company. Right. Um, you know, the funny thing was I had used their elk decoy and taken a bull. I had used their turkey decoy and taken a turkey. I had I knew that some of these decoys worked on Western big game. Two-dimensional decoys have been around for a while, and I have experimented with them extensively and have had a lot of success on a lot of Western game and turkeys and things like that. But I had never really thought to try anything like this with whitetails when it started working so well with whitetails um number one the the light bulb went off in my head about where else it might be applicable but then the following year i found out that the company was coming up for sale there was a partnership that was being dissolved and they were going to sell the company and i said what do you want for the company? <laughs> I'll take it. And yeah, literally, it was because of the whitetails that I decided to do it. And yeah, I've owned the company since 2019 now. And I started using these techniques further out into more traditional deer hunting states, whitetail hunting states like Iowa and Illinois and, uh, and Missouri. And the reason that I started trying it out there was because I, you know, after the success that I had in that, in, in more of a prairie setting, I started thinking about how often I had sat in a tree stand in one of those Midwestern states, and I had watched bucks out in, you know, the, uh, the corner of a cut cornfield, or a brushy fence line, or out in the wide open chasing does around, and basically sat there and prayed that they would eventually come my way or watching a buck that actually did lock a doe down right. chasing a doe around right. and then bedding down with her 200 yards out there and we always do the exact same thing we always sit there and we rattle and we grunt and we pray and 
nine times out of ten that doe jumps up runs a different direction and and usually you know on my hunts where i'm out there for anywhere from five to eight days or something like that usually that's the last time i ever see that deer yep and and you know i earlier in my career i, I spent days watching a, a buck like that do something like that out in the wide open thinking that he's unhuntable out there well now with the with with this technique especially with the 3d buck decoy man all i need is knee deep cover i i want that buck decoy in something where you know where he can be seen by cruising bucks by anybody that steps out of the out of the brush where he can be seen in the wide open and i just need some enough cover to cover up my lower body and the lower part of the decoy so that it you kind of have have the head of the decoy the silhouette of the head sticking up out of that knee deep cover right and now it looks like a buck that has a doe lockdown and i don't care what state you're in if you're anywhere as close to the rut and a cruising buck sees a buck that has a doe locked down because even in the thickest states a lot of times those whitetail bucks they're looking to push that doe out into some wide open stuff away from other deer right they want to isolate her right and so they'll they'll pin her down there it pin her down out in the wide open that's why a lot of times you see bucks that are cruising out in grassy areas in the wide open looking you know scent checking for does because that's the kind of place that these bucks chase a hot doe out into and lock them down and then they spend you know anywhere from 24 to 48 hours with them and breed them a bunch of times until they're done and then they immediately go looking for another doe and i don't care what state you're in if you if you catch a cruising buck and he sees what he thinks is a buck locked down with a doe he is going to come investigate and when he comes in to investigate the closer he gets to that setup the more focused he's going to be on the buck yep absolutely because he's, he, he's afraid that buck will turn and and come at him yep and 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 i like you said i i've seen you now use this technique successfully in illinois and I hate to bring up a painful situation, but <laughs> I saw you use it on in Iowa, probably on the second biggest buck that you ever had, had a shot at. And I saw it work like a charm. And then there was a little bit of a possibly, I think it, I, I, I think it was a how you caught your release. I, it was an equipment it, it failure. It was an equipment failure. It truly was. <laughs> no, it was. It, I, it when was, you watch the video back, it, it was it to was. a degree. I think it had something to do with your your clothing and your anchor point, and that that let's just say the shot went. When I'm watching the video and the shot goes, I'm like, no, 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 and I'll watch it back and go. It's like one of those movies that you wish had a different ending, even though you know what's coming. Yeah. Every time I watch that video with you, I'm like, maybe it's not going to happen because this buck was a giant, and he read the script hook, line, and sinker. I mean, definitely a gross boon deer. Um, and it, but but that system oh, worked in, was, in Iowa. He, man, you're bringing up a really sore subject. I know, right there, but, but I, I want to get the point across that this is not just an open country. This is not no. an open country technique. This is something that even even the most serious tree stand guy, even the guy listening to this, going, "These guys are no. This is not how I do things." 
But when you're up in that tree stand, like so many situations you've described and so many that I've seen, and you sit there with that helpless feeling and just praying and praying and hoping and grunting and rattling and snort wheezing, and you're not even in the game. Well, if you have this in your backpack, if you have this decoy in your backpack and, you know, you could go after him just by, you could go after him just by slapping the, the antlers on it and going after him as a, as another buck, I mean, per se, but yeah. you could also get down, get to a 3D decoy and, and, and get out of your tree stand. And now you're in the game. You're, you're actually yeah. taking the fight to that deer and that can happen anywhere. I, I mean, that, that situation arises all the time. Well, there's a, there's a couple of different points I want to make right yeah. there. You know, it, it, number one, if you do happen to see a buck pin a doe down, lock her down out there, you know, uh, from your tree stand, stand, wherever he is, when you find a buck with a doe in lockdown, that is w- one of the most vulnerable times of that buck's entire life. His full focus is on something other than flight. You know, his full focus exactly. is on breeding and not surviving. Yep. And they they are they are so vulnerable at that point. And what I tell guys all the time is, if you have you know these little bow mounted decoys, they fold up to the size of a frisbee and weigh eight ounces. They they're go nothing. They're nothing. And <laughs> you stick that thing in your backpack. And if you are able to get out of your tree or you're blind without getting spotted, that's the key. They can't be so close that they're going to see you sure. get out. But if they're 100, 100, 100, 150 yards out there and you can get out of that tree without getting spotted, you put that decoy on your bow. And, and like you said, usually I want to go in with a buck. Mm-hmm. The reason is if you, if you show that buck a doe from, you know, 60 70 yards away and he's got a hot dough in front of him he doesn't, he doesn't no reason to come over to her, come over to you no reason but if if you show him a buck yep and it, especially if he hears a grunt first mm-hmm. and, he, the, and i've seen you do that a lot yeah immediately the first thing that goes through their head is oh crap somebody found me he's here to steal my dough and literally when they when they stand up and they turn and look and they see what their ears just told them they heard that buck is in big trouble and you know this is the caveat though your younger deer like a two and a half year old that has doe locked down he doesn't want to go over there and fight that buck most time most time he just wants to chase his doe away and keep her away from that buck because he's afraid he'll get whooped and she'll get stolen yep your older mature deer they typically don't do that they typically want to come over and and get you to leave they don't necessarily want to fight but they want to come intimidate you and make you leave yep and and so what those older deer typically do is if you're in their comfort zone they stand up and they see you they pin their ears back and they start coming toward you yeah um you you you've got to go over some different uh uh possible shot uh opportunities that might come your way like full frontals and you know but if you're if you're patient usually they're going to give you a shot i've never seen one that starts coming toward you that just suddenly swapped ends and and took off unless he got your win yes if he got your win then it's a completely different thing but um 
I don't want to get off track right there. The, the main point is, is if you see that from your stand and you can get out there to them, they are vulnerable. Yes, they are very. extremely vulnerable right then. Um, the second point I want to make is it used to be if I was going to hunt with a 3D decoy or something like that, I was always looking for a tree that I could put a stand in and then a, a place for me to put that buck decoy that offered some visibility. And now I don't care about a tree. Mm -hmm. I just look for the for the most visible place. So if I go on a hunt, let's say to Illinois, and I get in a tree stand, and for two days in a row, I watch bucks scent checking something out there. Uh, it, it, it could be the uncut corner of a of an ag field that had some brush around it or, you know, anything like that. If I see them cruising that for a couple of days in a row, I'm no longer going to sit in that tree. I'm going <laughs> to nope. go out there and I'm going to put a 3D buck up out there and I'm going to find myself just a little bit of cover right next to him and I'm going to sit down and pretend to be a doe that he has locked down. And I don't need a tree. If that happens to be in the middle of a cut cornfield and right there in the middle of that circle pivot or something, there's a weedy patch or something where I can sit with that doe, I'm going to put that buck in a position where he can be seen by anything that comes out. And it, 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 you wouldn't believe, believe how effective that is on those bucks out in the Midwest. The first time that I did it in Illinois, literally every single buck that saw that setup for the entire week came within bow range. Right. They weren't every all shooters, but, 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 no. but they came. <laughs> That's pretty good odds. Every single one yes. came within bow range. It was, it was amazing. Um, and then that giant that you're referring to in <laughs> Iowa, um, you know, he, we hunted him. I sh I had my opportunity at him the third time that he saw the setup. The right. first time he had a doe, and he ignored the setup because he had a hot doe. Um, the second time, he came in, and he was on the other side of some brush, and he stayed there for 30 minutes, and we lost light, and I had to stay in my stay in my little hide right there where I was sitting for an hour after dark and give him the opportunity to leave so that I didn't booger him out of there. The third time that he saw that set, he was by himself and he locked in and this is a giant. It's like 190 inch deer, gigantic. And he pinned his ears back and he came at that 3D buck decoy and walked between me and the buck decoy he was 18 yards in front of me, and just like Jay said, I I was wearing a bunch of clothes because it was cold, and I came to full draw. He didn't even blink, had his ears pinned back, puffed up like a gorilla, sidestepping, getting ready to hit my buck decoy, and I went to readjust my anchor because it felt funny with all the clothes on, and I somehow triggered that release and basically missed him by three feet yeah uh, the pins weren't pin wasn't even on him yet right um right but you know the uh, he should be dead on my wall right now but he's not he's <laughs> somewhere else um he, but uh the point is he was it, it, it was it was a done deal yeah you had him dead deal. to rights there's no question yeah. 
And, and something, something I think we should touch on too, because I know the first time for me, the first time I used an ultimate predator, ultimate predator stalker decoy was for turkeys. And, and mm-hmm. it was at your recommendation, like, man, you got to get on the ground with these things. It changes the game. It changes the excitement level. It's a whole different experience. And I remember calling you just, I was still <sighs> huffing, puffing, going crazy because this Tom tried to run me over. I mean, when my hinge Let's- broke, I told you when my hinge broke and that arrow splashed through him, when he turned to yeah. run, he actually kicked up dirt onto my <laughs> pants because I was hunting in a very sandy location and and, and it just was like but but what i what i was nervous about on that hunt because of my inexperience using the decoy and using this type of setup was actually drawing my bow because i was worried about creating movement because in a traditional spot and stock situation most spot and stocks get blown in that last pivotal moment when you get ready to draw and they catch you or they bust you and The thing when you have this decoy on your bow is that animal, whatever it may be, whether it's an antelope, whether it's a elk, a deer, anything, they're expecting some sort of movement from that, what they're looking at, what they are perceiving as another species of their same kind. So when you go to draw your bow and you create a little bit of movement, as long as you're not having to point that bow you know, straight up in the air because you're pulling too many pounds or pushing it down into the ground, if you can hold it straight out in front of you and just come straight back and create a little movement, it makes no, I've had no animal even blink when I draw. Just don't even right. blink. Right. Well, if they they certainly can if you if you if there's too much movement when sure, you go sure. do it. However, it when it comes to decoying, a lot of times a complete lack of movement is is an alarm factor. And when they when they're coming up on something like that and there's absolutely zero movement, something a lot of times will go off in their head something's not right. But if they do have a little bit of natural, you know, small natural movements, man, it can totally sell the setup. Absolutely. And and something else I want to talk about, you know, we've kind of painted a good picture here, I really feel like, of how you use this system in the varying ways which you use this system. We're going to talk about it a little more because I have some quick fire questions I want to ask you. But first, I do want you to touch on there are going to be some accessory items that I know you take to the field the way you set up your bow um, with your with your sticks, um, the way that sometimes you'll use a chair because you know you're going to be out there for extended periods and kneeling and sitting yeah. in awkward positions is hard on the knees. So, so talk about a, just you know a few of the accessory items that you would recommend somebody looking to try this type of hunt style um, should should have. Okay, and you you know what before we go completely into the those accessories and i'll answer that question one second one thing that i do want to mention is that this is this is definitely not just a a a technique that is for completely wide open country however you do have to have some openings because with when it comes to whitetails specifically you almost never want a a a whitetail to see your decoy for the first time at like under 30 yards if they are if they are i would prefer that they see it at 100 yards right right? absolutely if they are too close it it shocks them and i don't care how good your decoy is if 
If it surprises them, it's no good. So you do, you know, it, it's perfect for ag country, for places with larger food plots, any place where you can see through the trees for 100 yards. What you don't want is it to step out at 20 yards and see this decoy for the first time. Yep, that's, that's a good what, point. It's a really, really good point. Yep. Um, but when it comes to going out there and setting up like over a 3D buck decoy and, and doing the lockdown spread is what I call it. It's a buck with a doe lockdown, so it's the lockdown spread. Um, I will, a lot of times, I'll sit in a turkey chair. Like I said, I'm sitting in cover that's knee deep. I'm just trying to cover my lower body and I'm trying to show them the top half of that bow mounted decoy and, you know, to pass for an animal that's bedded in the grass. Yep. Um, sitting out there on the hard ground or on the snow or what, whatever else is uncomfortable. A lot of times I'm there, you know, doing a normal set just like you would in a tree stand. So I've found that the little turkey chairs that you can, uh, that sit. I you think know, Alps Alps is the ones you've been using, right? Those yep, Alps those yep. Alps turkey chairs Alps seem to work really well. Yep. Yes. They work they work very well. They you know, you they're just they've got a back on them and they low profile about, you know, four to six inches yes. off the ground, low yes. profile, and really when you sit back in them, they're like sitting in a recliner. And uh and it it, it really makes things a whole lot nicer out there. Now, um yeah. A couple of the uh, bow companies like Hoyt and Matthews, uh, they have a uh, a stand system for their bows. However, those stand systems aren't really designed for field use. They are designed more for you know the shooting range, uh, concrete floors, um, something flat. You can get away with using them in the field, but a lot of times if you're on uneven ground it's hard for that bow just to stand up. Now, what the reason that I'm talking about these is it is nice to have something like that on your bow so that your bow is standing there vertically with the decoy on it so that you don't have to lay it on the ground and pick it up off the ground to move it between you and an animal. Or just sit there um, and have to hold it out in front of you for long periods exactly. and exhaust your arm and shoulder. Exactly. We're, we are actually working on a prototype right now of a bow stand that is designed for field use that is adjustable for uneven ground um, that will keep your bow up and vertical in front of you and ready to go. Um, and it, it'll actually be a great product for ground blind hunting or, uh, you know, on the shooting range or, you know, sitting out there in one of these situations hunting whitetails. Um, but it, it is nice to have something to stand that up. And, you know, that brings me to a different point. When I first started doing this, I was always really afraid of a deer coming from the side or coming from behind me because you're never quite sure. Sure, where exactly where, they're going to come from. Where they're going to come from. And, well, it's happened to me so many different times now that literally if I look over and there is a buck 60 yards to my left or or whatever all i do is reach forward and take that bow that's already standing up vertically because i've got a a, a little kickstand on there and just move the bow between me and the buck give him a couple of ear flicks and almost every single time they just go back to whatever what you whatever they were doing if they were headed toward your buck decoy 
or if they were headed out into a field or anything else, they they usually see the silhouette of that deer looking at them and and they just figured that whatever they saw in the grass right there, number one, you're not standing upright. You're not, they're, you're not, see, they're exactly. not seeing a man. Your profile is low. You're, you're a deer profile height. Yeah. You're, they're seeing something down low, uh, low to the ground like that. And when they see a blob, they might get nervous for a second, but then all of a sudden that blob has ears and it, it looks like a deer staring at them. They're just fine. They, they kind of figure that that must've been the deer's butt or something. And now turn around and it's looking at me. So it, it's not something that concerns me anymore totally agree and and you know one thing i, I want to ask too because i know a lot of people would be curious because i know i was curious you know there's a lot of different 3d buck decoys out there on the market yeah um ultimate predator gear doesn't make one yet <laughs> hint hint <laughs> uh, yeah. i i think i think that could be something you know for 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 the future but you know i know you have one decoy that you've kind of decided on um it and, and, and it seems to be very, very effective. I know it's a little heavier. It's a little little more maybe cumbersome to tote to a degree, but you seem to have really, really good luck with that decoy. So, you know, talk a little bit about that too, because having that good 3D buck presentation in, in the lockdown set is important. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, the one that I'm going with, I feel like is the creme de la creme of-, of I, I agree. Buck um you do not have to we we have had guys be successful with primos decoys with uh uh the flambo boss buck with carry light bucks just about any kind of 3d buck decoy that is available on the market for mm -hmm. work now the one that i like the most is the dave smith the dave smith is the creme de la creme of 3d buck decoys it is expensive however and in my opinion, it's a it's an investment that's worth it. Um, the first thing that I like about it is it's ultimately the realism of the buck. It is it, it's a it's a work of art. Um, the second thing that I like most about it is that it, it I don't have to stick stakes in the ground. It's got a stand um, that you can place on the ground and then stand the buck up in the stand and you don't have to push any stakes in because there's lots of places that i've been where i don't care if we had a sledgehammer out there and a stake it you're not going to get the stake into the ground and your decoy is going to be falling over. yep and then you're out there um, banging and clanging around too um exactly and then what exactly. i noticed being out there with you this year as opposed to my decoy which was a flambeau boss which worked fine, just yeah. like you said, works fine. As long as you remember the screws to the legs and your buddy doesn't have to run to the hardware yeah. store and invent something, that, that'll be another story oh, for yeah. another time. That's always helpful. That's always helpful. <laughs> but um, what I noticed when I took your decoy that day, because you let me use it um, for, for one day, um, what I noticed was you know, we had gale force winds. Um, and I mean yeah. ripping winds. And that decoy or that stand kept that decoy upright. It didn't create um, what I would call just, you know, wacky movement that is unnatural. It kept everything, it, it just was perfect. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very effective. Now, like you said, the, there's, there's some downfalls to it, you know, other than just the price. That is a heavier decoy. Um, 
when you are, there are times where I'm walking a mile in and, you know, what I've done is I've got a, I've got a bag system that goes over the decoy. I carry the decoy upside down in an orange bag with a shoulder strap that goes around my shoulder. And the, the stand goes in that as well. And I've kind of rigged that on my own, I don't know whether Dave Smith, uh, Dave Smith decoys offers some sort of uh, tote like that yet. If they don't, they should. But uh, I can carry that thing relatively comfortably, even though it is a little bit heavier. It's not as light as like the carry lights, the hard plastic ones. But um, I can carry it out there into the field. And then once I set it up, it is. I don't have to drive any stakes in the ground, and it's not going to. It's not going to tip over. Absolutely. And, and and one thing that I would tell people too, because the deer system up until this past year was fairly new to me. I'd use the antelope, I'd use the turkey, um, I'd even use a bighorn sheep. Um, the whitetail was pretty new to me. And one of the things that, that, that I just, that I took into account ahead of time was, you know, being a Western hunter, you know, when I started thinking about, you know, okay, I'm carrying a, a, a decoy out there that's X amount of weight that's bulky and cumbersome because all 3D decoys are. I'm carrying yeah. my bow. I'm carrying a, a chair that's, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten pounds. I've got my pack. I've got these things. You want to take time before your first time out there in the field. You know, get in your backyard, go out somewhere and practice, understand how you're going to get all of this gear transported to the field. I know we usually strap the chairs to our backs when we antelope hunt, same when we deer hunt, but you've kind of developed a system that is, you know, because you still, you got to understand when you're walking a mile out into some of these yeah. locations, you're carrying a lot of weight. And then when you get out there, a lot of times you're, you're setting up in the, you're in the morning, you're sitting out there in the pitch black and you yeah. want to be able to have your system down so you're not banging, clanging. And, and, and thinking, oh, where does this stake go if the decoy has a stake? Or how does my chair yes. fold out here? Because that can get really frustrating. If you take time to take care of that stuff pre-hunt, the hunt part is, you know, it, it just becomes second nature. I always say you've got to have a system. And, and that has to be part of your system, knowing how all of this stuff deploys, knowing how to get the decoy on and off your bow, knowing how to fold it up, knowing how to work your 3D decoy, knowing how to work your chair, knowing how to work the buckles on your backpack. It's all relative. Yeah, yeah that is a very, very good uh, point and very good tip that you just gave right there. This is no different than any hang and bang system that you're going to use. I don't care whether it's an ultra lightweight tree stand or whether it's a climber stand or whether you're doing it with a tree saddle. You don't want the first time that you ever use that stuff and have to carry all that stuff out into the field to be when you're actually going in there to hunt. You can't do that. And same thing goes here. This is just like that kind of hang and bang system. You need to lay everything out. One of the biggest tips that I can give anybody is I don't usually use like a really lightweight day pack when I'm doing this. I agree. It's a little more sturdy, like a Western pack, like a Kafaru 22 mag is my personal favorite right now. Um, that is kind of my, my day pack that I use for elk hunting or Western hunting. It's capable of carrying some weight. And with that pack, I can take like my chair that I'm taking out there and strap it onto that pack and carry it comfortably. 
And then the only thing that I've, I, I can also do it with my bow. If I'm going in in the dark and I'm, I know I'm not going to come across anything to shoot at, I'll fold that decoy up, put it in the pack, put the chair on the pack, strap my bow to the pack, put all of that on my back, and then sling that decoy across my shoulder. And now it's pretty comfortable. And, you know, I've got a pack designed to carry some weight. Um, I've got that big harness that I use to carry the decoy out there, and I can cover ground. I can, I can do pretty good. Uh, absolutely. And, and something else I want to point out, too, that I've noticed, um, you know, when you're using these decoys, um, you know, as far as when you strap them on your on your bow, because they weigh nothing. I mean, guys, we're talking eight, nine, ten ounces here. They, they weigh nothing. They're a cloth style decoy. But with that said, they're a very durable decoy. They're UV resistant. They don't fade. They're a lifelike image. Um, but one thing you need to understand is when you put that on your bow in a windy in, in wind conditions and and, and i mean yeah. I'm, not, I'm not talking a two to three mile an hour breeze but you know when you get that stiff you know seven to 12 15 you know the, the winds in that range you're going to want to sh practice shooting in those situations pre-hunt as well because that that decoy is going to increase your bow movement there's just no way around yeah. it because it's it's the wind, it's giving the bow more surface area, and it's giving, it's a cloth surface area, and, and, and it, it'll move that bow around. But, you know, what I found is if I practice with it, other than in extreme wind conditions, yeah. and if that's the case, yeah. I get back in the cedars or something and get away from the wind, there's, there's, there's routes around it like I did last year, but, you know, you, you want to shoot with that on your bow and, and understand, you know, what it feels like your your sight your arrow clearance through the window now this shooting window is big so you'd really have to yeah. mess up to, to hit it but you want to make sure you get it positioned correctly you've got good clearance you know your 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 side housing is is nice and you know set through it where you're not seeing any portion of the decoy intruding into the site that's all very easy to do but it's also something that you can have trouble with if you don't do those things ahead of time that yeah that's exactly right and that you know what i would what I would say is that on a compound bow, um, this does not change your point of impact one iota. It does not, and and we're saying in calm conditions, calm shooting conditions, I don't care whether I'm shooting 60 yards or 100 yards. I'm My arrow impact is the same, but like Jay said, the only enemy to that thing is the wind. And if you got stiff, if it gets too windy, you got to take it off the bow. That's all there is to it. But one thing that I would tell people is that when they first put these things on, they think that they have to lock this decoy on the front of the bow like concrete. Exactly. I, I was that person. Yeah. You do not want it to be like concrete on the front of the bow because if you get a little, you know, 20 mile an hour gust that comes all of a sudden or 15 mile an hour, whatever, you want that decoy to be able to pivot on the front of that bow just a little bit to absorb some of that energy. If sure. it's locked on there like concrete and can't move, the only thing that, that can is your bow arm. And then you can get it pulling your bow arm back and forth worse if it is locked down tight. Um, the other thing that I would say is if you get one and you don't practice with it, it does increase your tendency to want to peek to see where the arrow's going. Yes. So I tell people when you practice with it, make sure that you're watching the arrow impact through the shooting window of the decoy. 
if you don't think to do that and make sure that you're watching that arrow impact your target through that shooting window, what you will tend to want to do is drop your bow arm, move it. If you're a right-handed shooter, you're going to want to move your bow arm to the left and down so that you can see where your arrow is flying. And that will impact your point of aim. It yep. will definitely you will hit low and left if you do that. If you watch that thing impact through the shooting window, now your follow through is perfect. And it it actually, man, it actually helps with follow through when you train yourself to do it. But you, once again, you don't want the first time that you ever shot with the thing on your bow to be when you're actually shooting at a big buck that's coming in. It, it's, now, exactly. all of that said, when we're talking about whitetails, my average shot distance on whitetails during the rut or, or pre-rut with this decoy is like 15 yards. Yeah. And that's wide open situations. <laughs> so I'm bringing these deer in close and it's not like we're whipping them out there, you know, 60 yards or anything. Like right. That. These deer are coming in tight. And and, and the, the crazy thing about it is in that situation, you're at eye level, you are on the ground with a mature yeah. buck coming in looking for a fight and you are now part of the decoy system you've made yourself yeah. a part of the decoy system and i know i know it's just something you just you dream you look forward to it every single year um i know for me personally um the turkey has changed the way i turkey hunt if you guys want to and i don't care i've used it all over if you catch the right tom in the right mood it, it, there's no funner way to hunt turkeys. It'll make you want to get out of a ground blind so fast. Um, I used it successfully with antelope. I took my second biggest buck ever with my son um, using the stalker pronghorn decoy, uh, the buck decoy, yeah. and, and, and have had great luck with it. Um, you know, my experience last year in Kansas with you using the, the, the setup, we were fighting some crazy conditions, and unfortunately, I was fighting... Um, a very serious back injury that put me on the floor of your camper for about eight hours and and uh unfortunately it shortened my hunt a little bit but i know it's something that that i just i know how well it works um i know you get success stories you were just telling me before this podcast you were telling about a success story on a guy using it in in florida i mean yeah, killing so deer in, in florida yeah. i've seen it in oklahoma i've seen i've seen your testimonials pour in from all over where guys are saying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm willing to step outside of the established norm. I'm sick of well, sitting back and watching. I want to get in the game. It's funny that you, that you mentioned that guy from Florida because, uh, you know, we've been talking about this as, uh, as a rut technique. And, you know, for the most part, when you're talking about decoying whitetails and bringing them to you, it is a rut game. Um, now, I got a I, I got a success story yesterday from a from a customer and what is today, Jace? It's August 17th. August seventeenth. Um this guy is hunting in South Florida and he killed a beautiful South Florida whitetail buck, eight point, uh and for for down there is it's a booner. It's it's giant. Um but these are very small bodied deer. Um Yeah, I've hunted and, them down there and they're tiny. And you kill a 115-inch deer yeah. down there, and you did something. Yes, and and he just shot this buck yesterday on the 16th, 
and he basically told me that he had a he he was headed in there he had the decoy on his bow um he was hunting some uh some marshy areas down there he had a doe that stood up and looked that at him and they had a like almost a five minute stare down and as the doe started to move to his left to kind of circle to try and get his wind up stands a buck looks right at him and follows that doe right in front of him shot her shot him at like 30 yards i i tell people all the time if you're hunting like uh velvet phase whitetail or late season whitetail or something like that it's not going to do the same thing you're right. not going to bring bucks to you but what it can do is if you can slip within range of a buck and then when you go to draw if you get caught drawing your bow you at some point you've got to expose yourself right to make a shot right um if they look over and they see a deer looking at them it buys you time to get a shot off. Uh, it can also allow you to, you know, slip through openings at a distance where you ran out of cover and you're like, man, I've got to open, I, I've got to get across this 30 yard stretch right here and I have no cover to do it. A lot of times if you get down and go low and keep your bo lower body hidden, I tell people all the time, if, if if I put my buddy across the football field and tell him to start walking at me with that decoy, it takes me about two seconds to figure out that's not a deer. But if they find a little bit of cover, they stay right. low. When, when I look at them and focus, they stop moving, flick an ear at me. Now it's easy to mistake that thing for a deer. If you use a little common sense like that, it will allow you to do things like get across openings and and close the gap when you've run out of cover and 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 you know use it in in ways like that as well absolutely and and something i know that we should touch on just just briefly because i know that i've had a lot of people ask me about it and i know that 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 uh, people listening to this podcast might you know might cross their cross their mind but but I know I've gotten a lot of questions about, man, should I be using this on public land, you know, safety type issue. So, I mean, just talk about that a little bit because I know we've talked about it, but, um, you know, just, just kind of paint that picture a little bit. Well, I, you know, these decoys come with an or with orange safety strap yep. on them. And most of the time when when i'm hunting in places during an archery only season and there's just not very many people around especially when i've got good visibility i don't worry about using those orange orange straps they're easily hidden behind the decoy while you're while you're using it and and actually trying to go in on an animal but if you're ever in doubt and you're not sure who's around or something like that. Number one, you have those orange safety straps that you can run across the front of the decoy. Now, people ask all the time, well, what do, what do the deer do when they see that orange safety strap going across that deer's neck? Do they just take off and run? And I, I always ask them, have you ever seen a radio collared deer with a big old radi red radio collar around its neck? Many times. Are all the other, <laughs> are all the other deer running from it? Yep. They they might see something a little funny right there but it doesn't seem to affect them i've never seen any evidence that it makes them come out of their skin or anything like that now with with that said that's kind of like wearing a helmet when you're deciding to ride a motorcycle on the highway well mm -hmm. it offers you some protection 
but it doesn't mean that you can't get hurt. So deciding to use a decoy, and I, you know, I don't care whether you're using a, a two-dimensional decoy that you're carrying in front of you or a 3D buck that you're putting out in the field and, 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 you know, putting it, setting it up out there where other people are around, you're, you're taking an inherent risk when you do something like that. But what I would say is you've got to make the decision whether that's a place that's safe for you to use a decoy in or not. Yep. And just like Common when sense. you're riding a motorcycle, there might be places where you decide, I just don't want to ride a motorcycle on these streets. There's too many doggone people. There's too many people going in different directions. And it's just not a place where I want to ride, uh, whether I have a helmet on or not. Well, whether you have those orange stripes or not, there's probably places on public land or, or anywhere else where you've got enough hunters around where it might not be comfortable and if it, if it's in a situation like that you got to make the decision to go with a with a different tactic yep yep safety first for sure um and, and by all means you know if if there's a, a firearm season open or a uh, especially a center fire rifle yeah firearm season don't use a, don't use a decoy during that time right like that you know don't hide behind something that looks like an animal during a firearm <laughs> it's completely different where we're talking about archers absolutely and, you know absolutely. people having to get within bow range and things like that rifle hunters they can be 400 500 600 yards out there and pop a shot off <laughs> that's right that's so, right you know use use a little common sense absolutely well buddy i knew we were going to extend this because just the information so clean and it's so good but as we wrap up here, I, I got a couple quick fire questions to, to throw at you. And I just want you to think, man, I'm going to answer these brief, quick. They're, they're kind of quick hitters. Um, but uh, I know I know these quick hitters kind of get a lot of attention. So something that I want to want to go to. So let's let's just my first big question is, is the ultimate, you know, the ultimate time frame for whitetail deer to use the ultimate predator gear system. When is it? Oh, um well it, this varies regionally sure um however in most of whitetail country you know the the peak of the rut is somewhere right there in the middle of november um and the pre-rut is usually really kicking in during the last week of october anytime once that pre-rut kicks in where where the first does start to come into estrus the very first ones and you got to think about this during the rut the peak rut that we talk about maybe it's in the second week of november maybe it's in mid-november depending upon where you're at the peak rut is when the most does in that area are in estrus at the same time but you've got the early ones that start coming in maybe that last week of october and you've got the late ones that come in maybe even during the first week of December or something like that. Any time during that period where there's a few does in estrus is a very good time to be using a decoy, period. Perfect. Love it. Okay, next quick question. Sense or no sense when you make your, your, your lockdown set? Are you using sense, not using sense, and adding to that, how are you keeping that 3D buck decoy as scent free of human odor as possible? 
Well, I hate to admit it, but I don't really use scent um, very often. Yep. Um, occasionally I will, but if I do, number one, I never, ever, ever put it on the decoy. Never. If I'm going to use a scent, I will put it on some vegetation right behind the decoy or on the ground right behind the back feet of the decoy something like that because once you start putting things like that on your decoy you can't get rid of it and a lot of times scents go bad as as time goes by and some of them are next to impossible to get off of your decoy and i've actually ruined decoys to where they they got permeated with a scent like that the scent went sour and the next thing you know anything that came down one of that buck or that that decoy ever was was blowing you know what I mean? Hundred percent. hundred percent. That that's the number one tip that I'd have as far as as scents and lures go. Now, when it comes to keeping the decoy scent free, I'll use whatever um, whatever scent eliminator that I have the most confidence in, and I will spray that 3D buck decoy liberally with it. Now, I don't usually do it with. Um, as as liberally on my uh my stalker buck decoy or stalker decoy that goes on the bow i will spray that down the same as i do myself my boots and sure. anything else but the the a 3d decoy that you have out in front of you i will spray it down every time i use it with some sort of scent eliminator and then i will try my best to wear either rubber gloves or some kind of glove covering on my hands to keep from touching the the decoy itself a whole lot with bare skin um and you know it, now i'm no biologist um but it is my opinion that deer aren't necessarily scared of very many of the scents that we carry around like on our clothes like if it got exposed to um any particular form of scent whether whether it's a, a perfumey scent or anything else i think that they're curious about those things a lot of times what they're scared of is the smell of us yep and the smell that we are permeating that we can't really smell and that comes from bare skin or clothes that have been worn too many times without being washed, um, things like that. So I go through the normal steps that most good white tail hunters go through to keep themselves scent free. And then I touch it all up with some scent eliminator spray, whichever, whichever sort I feel, you know, that you feel most confident in. Perfect. Perfect. Last one. This one's going to, of course, raise some hairs and, and be a little, you know, because it is a controversial topic. I've I've wrote many articles about it. Um, I know the bow hunting bow hunting magazine or bow hunter magazines editor Kurt Wells has wrote some articles that I thought Kurt did an excellent job explaining the effectiveness of a full frontal shot. I do totally agree that if you are patient, you are going to get that buck to give you, uh, you know. A, a quartering two or even a full broadside, but you got a buck standing there. He's 20, he's left, he's in your range that you talked about 15 yards to 20 yards where you get most of these bucks to commit into, often closer, and he's just locked on 
and you, you, you think, man, I need to take this full frontal or he's going to come in in two seconds and my decoy, my buck decoy is going to be ripped to shreds. What are you going to do? Well, we've, there, there have been a lot of things written about full frontal, some positive, some negative. Personally, I think that a full frontal is an extremely deadly shot if you obey the rules of a full frontal. Totally agree. And the number one rule of a full frontal is that it can't be taken at an, it, it has to be very close. And with a white-tailed deer, um, I, I personally think that that yardage is about 15 yards. If they're beyond 15 yards, even, you know, 20 yards, 18 to 20 yards, they, they have time to move a little bit before the arrow impacts them. And this is assuming that you're shooting, you know, an average compound bow arrow that mm -hmm. is coming out. So maybe a, a 65 to 70 pound, 60 to 70 pound bow with adequate speed that is up there, you know, over 260 feet per second. If they're under 15, 15 yards or under, I don't feel like they have time to react before that arrow hits them. If they are over 15 yards, all they have to do in a full frontal situation is move their shoulders in any direction about three inches, four inches. And now your arrow is off target and, and your arrow is hitting a shoulder instead yep. of that that pocket there is a there is a pocket that is probably uh it's a little bit bigger than a softball and a little bit smaller than a cantaloupe but it is right there right above the brisket right at the base of the neck where the brisket and the neck come together and between the shoulders and if you hit them in that spot and they don't move you will watch that deer go down absolutely in most absolutely uh, but if you break the rule and you attempt one over 15 yards, and the reason this 15 yards is a number that sticks out in my head is because we have watched so many times on video uh, in, in frame by frame instances, how far, you know, how long it takes a deer to move before that arrow gets there. And in, in most situations, I've never seen one that duck, duck the string under 15 yards. They just, they, they, they don't have time to get out of the way at that at that at that range. Now with elk, things like that, we we up that to 20 yards. But whitetails are a little bit twitchier than elk, and True. they're a, whole, a lot quicker. Um, so that range for me comes down to 15 yards. So if, in my opinion, if they're under, if they're 15 or under and full frontal, and your pin is steady in the middle of their chest, let her fly. But if he's quartering hard at 45 degrees, unless you've got a setup to be able to blow through a deer's shoulder, and some guys do, right? Um, if you if you have any question in your in your mind about whether that will get through there, and you've got to remember the deer is also moving, so a lot of times even with a heavy setup, a deep penetrating setup, if the target is moving when the arrow's impacting it, it turns the arrow sideways, and now your kinetic energy all goes right out the side. That's right. That's right. If that makes sense. No, it does. It so, makes perfect um, sense. You, you want that deer to be still when it hits. And that's just, that's my rule. 15 or under, green light. 15 or over, wait for a better shot. Love it. Ton of great advice from 
truly one of the best bow hunters that I know. Um, just Danny's just had a really a storied career, um, and in, in in the things that he's speaking of in this podcast, I would really encourage you guys. I mean, go to the Ultimate Predator Gear website and take a look at all their offerings. I mean, we have a buddy, um, we have a buddy in Texas that uses these uses the hog decoy and just goes out and and wreaks havoc on hogs. Um, I mean, he's got them for caribou, he's got them for mountain goat, Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. I mean, the list. The list is endless, and it, it, it's a <clears throat> it's another tool in your toolbox. And yeah, something that I want to point out too, because I think a lot of people, you know, understand. I think with whitetails, it very well may, may be Harry Potter's magic wand, <laughs> because it just yeah. is so dang effective. But understand it just like anything else. When you go and you slap, because um, I've just done so much writing about the antelope decoy or the turkey decoy and, and even the elk decoy, when you slap this thing on your bow, it, it, it does not mean 1,000% that every animal that you go after is going to react to that decoy in a positive, positive manner. Um, every animal is no. different. Every animal, just like people, ha some animals, I believe, have a stronger fight than flight mentality, just like some people. And some have That's a stronger right. flight than fight mentality, just like some people. But I'm telling you, when you have this in your arsenal and you throw it out there and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, it worked. It changes the game and it opens your mind to a whole, just a whole array of, of, of crazy, crazy, crazy techniques. Um, and, and that's something, of course, we can talk about uh, at another time, too, with the elk and the pronghorn. And gosh, I love those turkeys. But um, great advice for the whitetail hunter. Everybody needs to get one of these. It should be in your pack. I mean, this is, this is I wrote lot, lots of must-have gear articles in my life. Too many, probably. And this is one that you'll find in most everything I write because I truly believe in the product. It is a must-have piece of equipment. Um, and it's one of those things where... Don't knock it until you try it is, is kind of the way yeah. I look at it. I mean, a lot of people have very strong opinions one way or the other. And it's one of those deals where it's like, well, have you tried it? Well, no, it's not going to work. Well, how do you know it's not going to work? You never yeah. even put it to practice. I mean, these things are less than 100 bucks for the most part. You know, you get your attachment system. You get some of uh, the yeah. eyes that you sell. I mean, there's there's some accessories. There's some add-ons you can go through and get some stuff. Danny sells packages and the whole nine yards. He'll work with you on, you know, just however you want to get set up. But uh, tell them a little bit more about where people can find you, man, where they can find you social media wise, where you do, you do a lot of writing. You're very prolific on Bowhunter TV. Um, you do a lot of seminar speaking, you MC things. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. So where, where can people kind of track you down and follow you? Well, um, the, the company is ultimate, the, our website is ultimatepredatorgear.com. And um, on, on Facebook and Instagram, if you just look for Ultimate Predator Gear, gear with a G, not deer. Um, if you look for Ultimate Predator Gear, you can find us. My personal Instagram is danny.ferris. Um, and, you know, like you said, I do a lot with Bowhunter. Um, I host Hoyt's podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I, I've got my fingers in a lot of things, but I, I like what you said at the end of this, Jace, is that uh, this is just, it's another tool. It, it opens up some new options. And 
you know, for the whitetail hunter, I mean, for, for decades there, you know, you and I were, were young aspiring riders. We yeah. were reading everything that we could. And, you know, there reached a point there where it was like, what else can be written about, about whitetails? And, you know, <laughs> it's everybody true. Had kinda, it's true. Had kind of pushed the exact same narrative through the entire thing. You know, don't, don't, don't step on your property except for your established trail in and out of your tree stand. And, you know, some of these guys have read this for so long that they're not very open to trying new techniques. And I am telling you right now, this is a new technique that has, it might not be for every situation, it might not be for every hunt, but when you run into the right situation, it is an extremely, extremely effective technique. Um, Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Anyway. I appreciate you having me on, Jace. Hey, man, I appreciate the time. I always appreciate, you know, all that you've done for me over the years. I know I tell you that all the time, but um, truly a guy that's shaped my life um, for the positive in so many directions and not just in this industry, but just life lessons, life skills, um, just, just a lot of things. Person I really admire, person I really look up to um, and just really honored to call you one of my best friends, buddy. So I appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. We'll have Danny back again soon. Um, until then, everybody, stay hungry, stay humble, and uh, we'll catch you next week.